0: Welcome to The Amazing Nerd Show. Now reading the TVA guidebook. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film, have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is David. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast,
1: we're breaking down the latest episode of Loki, and we're talking all the recent headlines in Nerdum.
0: Plus, we've got our AEW Week in Review. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum.
1: We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning,
0: potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check time stamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
1: Alright, up first we've got an update on the SAG After Strike and it's not good
0: well with negotiations going on for two weeks things have gone real sour for the hopes of ending the sag after strike as talks have been officially suspended sources at deadline claim the gap between sag and the amptp are way too great the main issues seem to revolve around profit sharing as sag is pushing you know for better residuals and a better revenue share as far as you know successful stream series goes what the amptp say that they're asking for is that at percent of the potential profits to go to all sag actors the amptp views this as you know way too steep and believes it would actually cost them about 2.4 billion over the next 3 years The AMPTP apparently have offered a similar deal to what they were giving the WGA as far as residuals go, but their representatives state that SAG has rejected these terms. SAG, on the other hand, has claimed that the AMPTP are reporting numbers 60% higher than what they're actually asking for, and that there's not enough protections against AI as the AMPTP are still pushing for day one consent to use an actor's likeness through AI for an entire franchise. SAG in later statements made it clear that they are committed to you know staying on strike for however long it takes to resolve these issues man just when we thought there was light at the end of the tunnel
1: um these greedy fucking bastards let me tell you (laughs) i mean from what i was reading it, it sounds like they just came to the table with the exact same offer that they had before so of course you know the actors aren't gonna fucking bite on this shit and nor should they So, I mean, fuck the studios. I mean, hopefully they get their heads out of their ass and, you know, actually offer them something that's legitimate um, and makes sense for the actors and and good for the actors for, you know, sticking to their guns and, you know, doing what's right, you know, for the guild at the
0: end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, what makes me laugh the most about this whole situation is like, even the numbers that the AMPTP are like saying, you know, are way too much for them to be giving, just feel like a small fraction to oh, what they'll ex- actually be earning exactly. over the next three years, either way, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's a couple like studio exact salary, but basically, exactly. right?
1: <laughs> so, whatever, you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, they come to their senses and they're able to work something out. Um, because right now, I mean, what we're over 90 days, I believe, so god oh, yeah. knows how many like further delays we're going to end up seeing. I mean, uh, some of these projects at this point have been pushed back almost a year but if this, you know, continues on, I mean, we we're, we're going to be going through a huge drought in, you know, the theaters over the next like, you know, 9 to 12 months. So it it, it could get ugly. Anyway, moving on, it looks like the MCU's Daredevil reboot series is getting a creative
0: reboot. Big changes are happening for Daredevil Born Again, as sources over at The Hollywood Reporter claim the head writers and directors, Chris Ord and Matt Corman, have been dropped from the project entirely as of September, with them saying that the production is set now for a creative reboot, as Disney-Marvel are on the hunt for new writers. THR went on to also state that Marvel, after green-lighting the concept, found itself needing to rethink the original intention of the show. But with new writers, the series will most likely be getting a new release date as well as the U.S. Copyright Office has a new listing for the debut episode airing in January of 2025. This date hasn't been officially announced but makes sense with them pretty much going back to the drawing board creatively for the series and needing probably more time for it to come out. That wasn't all that was revealed of course by the Copyright Office as they also gave a name to the Many Saints of Newark star Michael Galifini's character and that being the name Daniel Blade. Um, That doesn't seem to be in In reference to any known Marvel character at this time, but it wouldn't be the first time where a Marvel character's name has been changed entirely for a live-action project.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty drastic creative shakeup. Um, From what I was hearing too, like the script that they were going with originally had like Daredevil not showing up in costume for like four or five episodes. Yeah, Um, and it was like pretty much like a court like procedural like story. (laughs) which does not really like jive with you know the born again storyline that they're supposed to be tackling um it just feels odd it's just yet again another example of the mcu taking a major comic book story arc you know a legendary story arc and using it but using it in name only i mean like you know civil war or secret invasion um So I mean, judging off of the synopsis that we heard, this sounds like it's probably for the best. Now it also sounds like the MCU is gonna be changing their approach when it comes to these Disney Plus series uh, overall. That we could be possibly seeing the end of their, you know, limited series approach. Uh, Cause as of right now, Loki is the only series to get a second season. So it looks like they're gonna be trying to do more actual like tv series which of course would be using like the season format um that way they can really flesh out these characters and their story arcs and not everything feels so rushed and you know just strange pacing wise overall i think that's probably the biggest critique a lot of like the mcu disney plus shows have been getting it's just everything feels so rushed at times like they don't have enough time episode count wise to tell the story that they want to tell and also really introduce the audience to these new characters so and maybe you know that will change with a different approach when it comes to how they do tv um you know if we know if writers know that they have you know multiple seasons to tell the story that they want to tell and you know introduce you know these characters in a way where you can really like dig into who they are and what they're about um i mean the rumor is that they're going to be hiring more like showrunner types that you see in like traditional like tv series Mm -hmm. um and like coming up with like you know series bibles which is what a lot of the shows use as a blueprint for you know what the core of the series is about and how they're going to go about, you know, telling that story.
0: I mean, I think that's important to establish, especially like they're probably going to do more Defenders characters and stuff like that in the future um, as series and stuff like that. And I think that's important for them. I wouldn't also have any issue with like, werewolf by night was fine as an introduction to that character. And I feel like other small characters like that, I could still see, you know, getting a special and it still being something worthwhile for the, you know, Marvel experience. Yeah. And I mean, Werewolf by Night was
1: almost a completely different story. Right. Because that was very much like a one off holiday special. Right. Um, Like it was literally like 45 minutes long. Right. Um, You know, I think that's a great way to like introduce these, you know, C-level characters, if you will, um, into the fold um, and at the same time do a lot of world building. I think the change of philosophy is basically around the fact that I think before they viewed these Disney Plus series as almost like an appetizer to, you know, the bigger scope, like, you know, to the Mm -hmm. cinematic universe um, where they can kind of use it as like a prologue, you know, for, you know, a character like Miss Marvel before we, you know, see her in the Marvels film. Um, Now it sounds like, you know, if they're going to do a series, it's going to be a character that they can really invest in and tell You know, a multi-layered, you know, story arc with, you know, over multiple seasons, Um, which is preferable, honestly, because how many of these series, you know, have we been talking about over the past couple of years where we're like, well, we hope it gets another season because there just feels like there's so much meat on the bone that hasn't Mm -hmm. really been explored yet. So, you know, I mean, right now, this feels like the kind of course correction that makes sense, uh, because like I said before, like you know the one constant critique we've had for all these marvel shows is man there's just no time to breathe when it comes to these you know storylines um and hopefully like this new approach will allow that to happen um and we'll get like fully formed characters you know spinning out of these you know disney plus shows so um I don't know, here's to hoping, right? But anyway, speaking of the MCU's Disney Plus shows, we've got some casting
0: updates. In Agatha Darkhold Diaries, Aubrey Plaza has been revealed to be playing a witch named Rio Vital. This was another story that broke straight out of the US Copyright Office. Now, Rio Vital is also being called the Green Witch, which may be connected to the Emerald Warlock, Diane, from the comics. Reports claim Rio um, will be a force to be reckoned with and will further expand the magical spectrum of the MCU. The copyright listings for this series also point at a September 19th release. However, this hasn't been made official by Disney just yet.
1: Christian, I've been reading comics for over 30 years, and by no means am I an expert.
0: But who the fuck is the Emerald Warlock? I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> no idea. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be like a loosely based character, if if at all. They're just connecting that because it's the green witch and the, okay, whatever. I guess. Sure. The US Copyright Office also confirmed that Sasha Baron Cohen will be involved somehow in Ironheart. The character listed, though, for him is simply posted as Mystery Man. Many are still expecting the actor to play Mephisto, but we'll see what happens as this is still not slated to come out until maybe late 2025.
1: All right, up next, we've got a major DCU
0: update. Friday this week reports that none of Zack Snyder's Justice League team will be making it into the new DCU regime under, you know, Peter Safran and James Gunn's control meaning actors Ezra Miller, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, Ben Affleck, Ray Fisher, and Jason Momoa will not be back to play their super-powered counterparts. Um, This comes after much speculation if Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot would be coming back, even Ezra Miller has been thought of as potentially returning for the role of Flash, but it seems that those rumors can officially be laid to bed. But as far as Jason Momoa, um, Variety claims that he is very much on the table to play Lobo instead in the DCU, and may even, actually appear as a character in Superman Legacy. So I think the only name that really surprises me
1: on that list is probably Gil Godot. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the only one I really foresaw them like bringing back as Wonder Woman because like, why wouldn't you? She's super popular with the fans and, you know, she's great in the role. Um, But I mean, I'm guessing that they just want a fresh start and, you know, who knows? Um, I feel like it's going to be quite a while before we actually see a Justice League team like, form in the DCU, but honestly, like, who the hell knows, because we're also getting a plethora of, you know, DC heroes in the upcoming Superman film, you know, which I wasn't expecting. So for all I know, the Justice League already exists in this world. But as far as Momoa as Lobo, I mean, come on, Gun, just get this done. Let's do this. Like... (laughs) I think this is on the top of a lot of people's wish list when it comes to, Uh you know, James Gunn's DCU. It just, it's such perfect casting. There's no reason not to do it at this point. I mean, Aquaman 2 just feels like a lame duck, um, unfortunately, Uh, because I mean, people obviously worked fucking hard on that film and everything. Um, You know, hopefully it still does well in the box office, but unfortunately at this point, people just see that film as, you know, the leftovers of the dcu something you better hurry up and eat fast before it goes bad so i mean it is what it is i mean i'm hoping that it's still an entertaining time because i do plan on seeing it um but you know it, it just sounds like it's time to move on and move forward you know at the end of oh the it's day. been time right it's been past time yeah <laughs> i mentioned that i saw the flash film right yes Yes. What the <laughs> fuck, man <laughs> The Speed Force shit alone, just, I just, <sighs> I mean, it's mind-numbing, like, why they made the choices that they made in that film. All right, well, moving on to the world of horror, it looks like we got a big winner for the Halloween franchise TV rights bidding war.
0: We recently talked on the TV rights for the Halloween franchise being up for bid as you know Miramax and A24 went to war over them. But uh Deadline reports that Miramax has come out on top, now not only getting the TV rights, but still having half the film right with Trankis Film International. Deadline would go on to you know insinuates the potential for a Halloween film and TV verse, especially since both are now under the same house. But there's still no word from Miramax on what they actually plan to do. All we really know is that Michael will be hit. The small screen soon, as the owners on both sides are very excited for their continued collaboration. Fine, whatever. <laughs> are you disappointed, David? I'm really disappointed that A24
1: didn't win the rights. Um, I mean, the Halloween franchise has obviously been underneath the Miramax umbrella for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like A24 would have brought a certain level of, you know, quality and you know artistic like integrity that the franchise has, has just been you know sorely missing for years now um but who knows i mean maybe this will work uh i mean look at the success of the chucky series right now um you know i haven't talked they about it on the fair. show in a while but i mean they they're really knocking it out of the park and you know telling a great story and really continuing that franchise's legacy in a way that you know makes sense as a tv series but don mancini you know the creator of chucky is the one who's overseen everything where halloween doesn't necessarily have someone like that steering the ship um so but like i said i'm gonna try to be positive i'm just i'm just right now i'm just disappointed (laughs) yeah Because there were a lot of rumors that A24 was really close to, you know, mm-hmm. making the deal. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, Miramax swooped
0: in and, you know, got the rights. So whatever. I mean, maybe they can find someone with the right vision to build something, you know, and really impress us going forward. Hopefully. But I do, I do wish that A24 had gotten it just because, I, you know, they would have found someone very with a very distinct and different vision compared to anything we've seen in the last 10 years with Halloween.
1: Yeah, someone who could put like a fresh coat of paint, you know, on the series that it it just sorely needs, you know, especially after the debacle of, you know, the David Gordon Green trilogy. So, but, you know, here's, once again, here's to hoping. When are you going to go see Exorcist? (laughs) No comment. (laughs)
0: all right well last but not least we've got some more casting news on del toro's frankenstein film Lighter reported this week that Christoph Waltz of Inglorious Bastards and Elite of Fame is joining the cast of Guillermo Del Toro's Frankenstein for Netflix. He joins Oscar Isaac, Andrew Garfield, and Mia Goth for this film, which is reportedly to begin filming sometime in February next year. Now, I don't know if Del Toro's
1: planning on doing kind of a hybrid between Frankenstein and like Brian Frankenstein, but if he is, uh it'd be great to see Waltz playing Dr. Pretorius. Um, who's like this mad scientist character that's introduced in uh, Bride of Frankenstein. I think he's supposed to be like a former mentor or colleague of uh, Henry's, but he would just be the perfect fit for that role. I could see him just chewing scenery left and right. So, um, But otherwise, I- I'm not quite sure. Who he could be possibly playing
0: either way with a cast like this i i i want to see this on in theaters not in netflix you know like <laughs> I, I agree 100
1: percent with that you know i mean this is the kind of film that deserves to get a theatrical release so i was quite disappointed when i found out this was a netflix film but it is what it is at least we're getting it right
0: and now for the nerds breakdown of loki season 2 episode 2. heavy spoilers ahead you have been warned you're or a
1: yes you wrote the TVA guidebook. You've read it. Read it. I
0: practically memorized
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> will you sign mine for me? Of course I will. Happy to do it.
0: Yeah, just next to your picture. Then. Hold on. I'll draw mine. My... You just said we were all gonna die. Landing in London in 1977, Mobius and Loki are on the hunt for Sylvie. And while Loki is convinced she isn't here during this time, just because there's nothing dangerous happening, Mobius has them still looking for X-5, who was one of the men that followed General Dox at the end of last week's episode. Apparently, his Tempad went out of service and Mobius thinks that that might be a clue to him running into Sylvie. X5 though is going by a different name here in this timeline as he's undercover as movie star Brad Wolf and this is a premiere for his film Zaniac. So if I'm remembering right, Zaniac is a
1: character in Marvel comics who if I'm remembering right was this like demonic entity that possessed like Jack the Ripper and some other like murderer. I believe he was also an actor. Uh, But with that being said, like, I feel like that's where the connection to the comic book character really ends. So it just feels like kind of like an odd little, like, MCU Easter egg. When it came to the start of this episode, I was pretty confused. I'm not going to lie. Like, it it almost felt like I missed an episode because, like, it it just felt like Loki and Mobius were in the middle of a mission that... (laughs) I didn't know about. They were, they were undercover. They were in tuxes and everything. I couldn't remember who X Five was. I was like, "Wait, is that the guy who was with Doc's, like her, like right hand man? You know, the 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 douchebag character, because um, he looks so different." you know, as Zadiac. The haircut does not help at all. And it's not like this was like an established character from season one or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So like, it took me a little bit of time to kind of like put all the puzzle pieces together and figure out exactly what was going on here. And also I think part of it was, you know, he just felt like so hardcore for the cause of, you know, the TVA, so to see him basically going AWOL just felt so out of character that, I don't know, I was just confused.
0: Yeah, it was definitely weird when you consider like where we left off with him, you know, because like he was being pulled in by Docs and it just really felt like this guy's gonna be maybe one of our like big villains going forward because he's so like loyal to her vision. And that's kind of just
1: like a microcosm of a bigger overall issue I've been having with these first two episodes of Loki. I just feel like I'm struggling to like keep up to speed with exactly what the hell's going on. (laughs) And I don't know if it's just because there was such a long wait between the first season and the second season, but I just feel like I'm constantly like playing catch up. You know, (laughs) there's so much exposition and it's all done in a very entertaining way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the show is as charming as ever, but at the same time I keep on finding myself rewinding scenes because I'm just sitting there scratching my head afterwards trying to figure out exactly
0: what the hell's going on. I mean, I won't lie, being able to watch these twice to do the breakdowns has definitely been a benefit. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I would have benefited
1: from a refresher and, you know, just just rewatching the first season altogether, um, you know, before starting the second one. Because so much happened in the series and in the finale alone, and since the series, honestly, that I'm just struggling to remember it all, honestly.
0: Intercepting X-5, Mobius and Loki try to get him to talk about what's going on here in 1977, but he's unfortunately quick to run from them. Nearly escaping with his Tempad, B-15 is able to snatch it from him, pretending to be a fan of Brad Wolf. Loki is then forced to chase X-5 through the streets and alleyways of London before using a fake projection of a London gang to trick Brad into thinking he's surrounded. Using his shadows though, Loki is able to hold down X-5 as they take him into custody. Mobius though comments on how over the top Loki is being in this scene. This
1: definitely felt like a theme in this episode, kind of exploring like Loki's villainous nature um, and just reminding audiences exactly who Loki is. Um you know, it's something that I felt like kind of got lost at the end of, you know, the first season. Um, I'm also glad that we got to see Loki be Loki, you know, get his Loki on if you will, (laughs) with his powers. (laughs) Cause there was a point where like, he's chasing, um, you know, X-5 through the alleys. I was like, why is Loki chasing anyone? Like, can't he just fucking teleport to where the dude's going? And then sure enough, it was more of him just like fucking with him. Because I believe one of my criticisms of last season was You know, at times it felt like they kind of, like, you know, nerfed Loki, you know, and, like, depowered him. Um so i mean right off the bat here in season two i like that they're showing you what he's capable
0: of at the tva a now collared x5 refuses to answer what he's done to his Tempad. since he's unwilling to answer b15 suggests bringing it to ob who is hard at work trying to retrofit the temporal loom to handle more branches after showing him the modified Tempad, pad he asks if this is more important than him working on you know, the loom, which Moby and Locus then quickly agreed to let him continue working on what he's already doing. So he parts them with the knowledge that everything they need to know about this Tempad is all in the TVA guidebook that he wrote.
1: You have to excuse me. I mean, I wasn't here last episode to talk about, you know, Loki and, you know, just how great ki Hu Kwan is, um, you know, in this series so far. I mean, he's just like the perfect fit. You know, for the show, and yeah, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I mean, I still love that all the TVA's like technology seems like it's straight out of like the late '70s and early '80s. Like the one like device that they're using is totally like a handheld like video game, you know, from the early '80s. Uh-huh. So like. <laughs> The prop department is having a field day, I'm sure, like going to flea markets and shit and picking up this stuff, so. But so far, like, OB has been a great, like, plot device to kind of really, like, streamline and explain what the hell's going on in a way that, you know, simpletons like me can understand.
0: Uh, I'm still going to be keeping an eye on OB. Uh, I don't know what it is. You know, something about him being, like, knowing how everything operates and having, you know, he who remains trusting him with so much information feels like maybe he's possibly working with them or in some cases trying to stop this from happening but right now like this first episode i left feeling that way the second episode i'm a little bit more like he's probably just a good guy but how dare you christian it's just a theory
1: you cynical bastard (laughs) who hurt you (laughs) you can't even trust data come on man (laughs) no No, No, I agree with you. I mean, the thought did go through my head, too. Like, he's basically the guy who's keeping this entire establishment, like, working. So, I mean, he has to be pretty high up the ranks for, you know, he who remains to trust with, like, all this responsibility. So, yeah, you've got to kind of question, like, exactly who he is and what his motives are in the long run especially since it seems like a lot of the TVA are getting frequently like mind wiped, right? Also, um, the term loom stuck out to me. It felt like a nod to uh, the Spider-Verse because I-, I believe it's something that the inheritors call like the the, the web of life or something like that. Um, I could be getting that all wrong, so I apologize. <laughs> but it just felt like a subtle nod to that comic book story arc. Plus, their like, home world is called loom world oh gotcha gotcha you, got you. Mm-hmm. so maybe that's why it was sticking out to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> on a higher level b15 asked Casey about Renslayer's location unfortunately she had erased her data but the last message she received was from Miss Minutes. The two then bring this to Loki and Mobius, which reminds Loki to tell them about the audio he heard last week between Renslayer and He Who Remains. It seems that Renslayer, Miss Minutes, and He Who Remains were all working together. Which actually adds credence to your theory that Perhaps OB is actually also working with them. Casey then sees Loki and Mobius trying to figure out X5's Tempad, which the two are totally lost trying to figure out, you know, how it blocks TVA signal. Casey, who's actually read the TVA guidebook and basically memorized it, explains that the device doesn't actually block any of the TVA's tracking at all. Now, even after watching this twice, <laughs> this doesn't really come up again, like throughout the entire episode. Like, the fact that he has, you know, a temp pad that doesn't actually block anything, what the modifications on it are actually for. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a bigger, you know, device, you know, later on in the season. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about that
1: Yeah, because they never really explain exactly what the modifications were actually all about. It's something that he personally did, you know, so he can go AWOL. Um, but once again, that would be him blocking the tracking. So... Yeah, it was just very
0: odd that they just ended it there. It was just, you know, no, this doesn't do that at all. And then nothing. No comment on like, okay, then what does it do? It's like, yeah, it's just that's true. They cut the explanation right there. It's so weird. Well, Now I need to go back and watch the
1: episode again. (laughs) Which would lead you to believe that it's a plot point that they're going to pick up again. You know, at some point in the series,
0: the gang then decides to interrogate X5 on what he knows. But instead of giving them any information, X5 actually tears each one of them down as he revels in the fact that, you know, himself and the TVA are nothing and pretty much meaningless after their discovery of, you know, all being stolen from different timelines. While Loki is able to keep his cool in the moment and embrace being called the villain and a loser, when X5 actually turns to Mobius and questions why Mobius is still working here and not in investigating his own life on the timeline, this kind of breaks Mobius. as he finally hits X-5 in a fit of rage. Loki and B-15 quickly split the two apart. Now, I'm going to disagree with you here, Christian, because that
1: line about Loki's mom definitely hit a nerve with him. <laughs> you know, I thought Loki was going to fucking lose it in that moment. So, and I'm glad that they had that moment in there to once again remind you of, you know, all the sins of his past and everything, exactly Mm -hmm. who this character is. Because Loki's been so wonderful in this series, you know, I feel like a lot of people are kind of forgetting his villainous past. So I'm glad that they have moments, you know, throughout the first two episodes, you know, the second season like this, where it's kind of reminding you that, you know, Loki is one of Marvel's biggest villains. But, I mean, moving on to Mobius, yeah, I, I was surprised to see him crack here because he's been pretty, like, unflappable. But I thought this moment was effective because it just added some depth to his character and showed you that the reveal of the fact that they basically have been kidnapped from their, you know, lives um, and, you know, forced into working for the TVA, which is just strange to even say,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, is actually like weighing on him. Loki walks with a clearly stressed out Mobius as Mobius denies having actually broken character in that interrogation. Loki suggests that they cool down with some pie, which we then cut to the two of them enjoying some key lime. Mobius then admits he lost a bit of his cool there, and Loki explains it's only natural to need to release your rage. He then compares it to the time that he got so angry with his family that he went to Earth with an alien army and enslaved mankind, and went as far as to throw Iron Man out a window. First of all, I wish my job had a pie room. Um. (laughs) Yes (laughs)
1: I'm such a fat bastard Uh, But (laughs) I liked Loki's summary of the Avengers The first Avengers film In its most Uh simplistic form Uh, But this was a real nice moment between the two characters
0: Loki then asked, you know about what X5 was talking about back there in the interrogation. Why has Mobius not actually wanted to know the truth about his place on the timeline? Mobius says he has no interest in knowing the truth and while it seems like a part of him is desperate to know, Mobius continues to say he couldn't handle having what could have been rattling around in his mind. That is better left a mystery in the end. Yeah, I mean one of
1: our theories last season was everything with the water ski was a subconscious kind of screaming out to him, you know, about basically, you know, his past life. But I could totally understand you know, where he's coming from, where if he got a taste of what his life used to look like and what he's lost it would be too much for him to bear.
0: Exactly, because I think I'd I'd want that to be a mystery at this point as well, you know, it's just like if it's, it was good this whole time, that just means I've missed out on this many years yeah, I mean, of he, a happy he life. Yeah, he had children
1: you know? and a wife or, you know. uh uh-huh, that would be I mean, if you way. really think about it, like all the agents of the TVA are, are really just victims. While
0: Loki and Mobius try to devise a plan to get X5 to talk, we cut over to OB as he tries to bring a new device out to the temporal loom. However, the blast doors will not open for him with an error on the accessing computer saying that he doesn't have clearance. In fact, he doesn't have the right temporal aura. Loki and Mobius then cart in a machine to X5's cell that creates a cube-like holding cell that they can manipulate in size. X5 at first laughs it off as he doesn't think Mobius is capable of torturing someone, but when Loki seemingly tricks Mobius to leave the room for a missing remote to the device, shit suddenly gets real. Loki unveils that he has the remote and asks a simple question, where is Sylvie, before powering it up. X5 tries to apologize his way out of it, but continues to say that he doesn't know where Sylvie is. And every time Loki doesn't get the answer he's looking for, he makes the cube a tad bit smaller. X5 running out of space and almost being crushed to death finally spills the beans that he does know where Sylvie is. And that's when Mobius comes to in to show that this was all part of their plan to get him to talk. As someone who is mildly claustrophobic, I
1: could not handle this scene whatsoever. Um, (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) This was just nightmare inducing for me. Um, But I love watching Loki, you know, be Loki once again. And just tap into his villainous side. Um, Because, I mean, I believe that he would have fucking crushed him right then and there if he didn't get the answer that he wanted. And obviously, X5 also believed that.
0: B15 and Casey then meet up with OB, who's inside the blast door area trying to get to the temporal loom. OB informs them that they're all going to die, as only he who remains has access to open the blast doors. And you know, since he is dead now, there is no way in. Casey is otherwise starstruck to meet the person who wrote the TVA guidebook, but B-15 is terrified of what OB is telling them. OB promises to keep working on the device, but unless someone is able to get those blast doors open, all is already lost. And this is actually left unresolved this episode. I mean we do know
1: that Jonathan Majors is going to make an appearance this season. So you got to wonder if like part of Loki and Mobius's mission is going to become like, you know, finding a variant of He Who Remains, you know, to get these fucking blast doors open.
0: I can't believe I didn't even think about that during this episode. It's like, oh, that, well, that makes sense. That makes 100% sense why they would be going after him. Then. Yeah,
1: maybe that's why, you know, they're searching out Victor Timely, at, you know, in, in the end credits scene uh, for Ant-Man and Wasp. But I'm also confused at the same time because at the end of Quantumania, we also have the Council of Canes, right? <laughs> and here in the series, guess- like, that hasn't happened yet, technically, right? Because that's partially what the TVA is trying to guard against now. Yeah,
0: so I guess this would be a. Before- for the events of Batman, the Wasp Quantumania. I'm guessing.
1: Even though we saw the, okay, whatever. I'm gonna stop. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm saying all this time travel stuff,
0: you know, multiverse, Mm. it's just, It's headache inducing. Jesus. X5 then takes Loki and Mobius to the branch timeline of 1982 Braxton, Oklahoma, where we saw Sylvie enter a McDonald's in last week's episode. X5 continuously tries to get Mobius to take him back to 1977 of the sacred timeline as promised. But the two continue to ignore his request as Loki goes inside the McDonald's to find Sylvie working at the register, in which Sylvie asks Loki to wait until she's on break to actually talk. Outside, Sylvie questions what brought Loki here. Loki explains that he was time slipping, not only was he traveling between the past and the present, he also saw the future, in which the TVA was falling apart, and also that he saw Sylvie there in the future, and wants present day Sylvie to try and explain why she might be there. Sylvia claims it's impossible for Loki to have been in the future, as that would mean it's already been written, which killing he who remains prevented any chance of timelines being predetermined. Sylvie continues to say that she wants nothing to do with this or the TVA, but Loki counters that if she likes the timeline that she's currently living in, the TVA is all that really is left to protect it. First of all, I was totally confused by the fact that this, you know, reunion
1: started off with. Loki apologizing for the events that took place in the finale. Because in my mind, Sylvie should be the one (laughs) apologizing. I mean, she literally, like, doomed the multiverse. Um, You know, I understand that she has her reasons, but at the end of the day, they're pretty selfish, if you ask me. But with that being said, I mean, these two have a lot of chemistry on screen. Um, It's still weird, you know, i mean this such a strange relationship you know that he's basically having with himself um just just go with it just go i with get it. i mean i get the metaphor that they're going for but it is also funny that this is like probably the biggest romance the mcu's ever had on screen besides like wanda and vision honestly um but the one thing that i couldn't help but think about Here was I'm just wondering if some point in this series if we're going to come to a point where Loki has to choose between Sylvie and the good of you know the multiverse um and if Loki is going to be able to actually make you know the right choice um, for the greater good Um, because once again at, at Loki's core even though he's trying to change he's still a villain um It just feels like a baked in like story point that, you know, they're they're going to explore, especially when you think of the overall metaphor that's happening here. Um, And in the long run, I think it'll be a real testament to whether or not Loki has actually grown as a character.
0: That sounds way too dark. I don't think they're gonna do
1: that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he'll, I think he will make that choice. And I think it'll be with, you know, Sylvie's blessing, especially since it's a classic, you know, comic trope, you know, or, or I mean, Jesus Christ is a trope in Star Wars, right?
0: You know, the, the the villain redemption arc, so. Inside the McDonald's, X-5 is still freaking out about getting back to the sacred timeline. Mobius tries to calm him down by talking to him about Zaniac, But X5 again asks to get out of there, which Mobius begins to notice that something may be more at play here. Mobius brings X5 to Loki and Sylvie as he continues to hide what's really going on, but Sylvie uses her powers to see X5's memories and finds out that Dox is bombing all the branch timelines. Mobius, Loki, and Sylvie then rush to Dox's location where they find her and her army loyalists going through door after door pruning whole timelines and ending billions of lives. The three of them do their best to stop the loyalists, and Loki and Sylvie end up having to combine their powers to bring the whole operation down. Loki and Mobius rush back to the TVA to see the damage, and Sylvie reluctantly joins, only to see a large percentage of the branch timelines have actually already been destroyed. The TVA looks on in horror while also arresting Docs and the loyalists who weren't able to escape the scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was some heavy shit, right? I mean, billions and billions of lives are being lost every time we see a you know TV agent you know go through a time gate, or whatever the hell they're calling them, um, you know, with you know, when they're you know time bombs. I think my only real issue with this moment was it was very like, tell me, don't show me. Um, So I don't feel like it carried as much weight as it could have. Like, they really relied on the actress reactions to really get over how horrific Doc's and, you know, her soldier's, you know, mission really was. And that's not saying that the actress didn't pull it off. But I just feel like the moment could have been bigger. But maybe that would just be too dark for the series.
0: I mean, I wanted them to at least give me, like, a final, like, percentage of how many they actually got rid of. Because they started off by saying, like, they've already done 30% of the timelines and I was like, like oh and then the, the give, last image is just one timeline on the screen
1: like give us a death toll
0: yeah a death toll would have been crazy yeah too.
1: like give us an actual like you know number of how many lives were lost or something like that mm-hmm. um that'd be pretty fucked up
0: my other question was you know with that many you know timelines being destroyed are things now a little bit easier with the with the time loom, like if it doesn't have as many to weave right now, like well, give them more time,
1: or I'm guessing that would be the case. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that there aren't more timelines still popping up, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I for mean, right Sylvie's now, still exists yeah, and for yeah. right now, that's the case. But I'm sure we're gonna see more branches starting to form. If anything, if our theory is right, this just buys them more time to find um, a variant of He Who Remains. Um, yeah you know to solve the you know blast door issue
0: casey then gets a hit on renslayer's 10 pad discovering her current location but loki turns to sylvie who's more than you know disappointed by what's happened sylvie blames the tva's existence for all of the harm done here and loki tries to stop her from leaving but of course that doesn't work man i mean she's got some
1: nerve like uh, she's got to take some accountability here too like She's partially the reason why all this is going down right now. I
0: I feel like she doesn't feel any blame. You know, she she believes what her choice was the right thing. And that's it, you know,
1: I I know she's been. And of course, I know she's being written this way for a reason, but (laughs) her character is a lot less likable
0: this season, right, (laughs) compared to the first. Again, I'm sure she'll have to come around and help them out in the end, so it'll be fine she's just you know still angry and angsty i don't I know. know it might be a little too little too late for me <laughs> i don't know back in braxton sylvie sits on top of her pickup truck looking up at the stars outside the mcdonald's jack her fellow employee checks on her before heading home but as the camera zooms in on sylvie we see her holding he who remains his tempad as the episode comes to a close okay so that's what she's holding at the end yes i had to like double check to see what the images looked like but yeah that is the same one it was that was on his desk in the last season well the plot thickens um
1: mm-hmm. man i have no clue how that's going to come into play and what that could possibly mean because i mean once again i have no clue what the tempads are capable of especially like you know especially he who remains tempad You gotta think that he's got like some souped up daps on that shit, right?
0: (laughs) You know, at least a a fun game of Angry Birds, I'm sure, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you think this could mean that she's actually up to something a little more devious than, you know, just being a fry cook at McDonald's? I don't know,
0: because I feel like right now, maybe not, but maybe as after seeing everything that just went down she's thinking maybe I can play a bigger part in this and have more control
1: yeah I think you're right it's probably more of a case of you know her actually like possibly having a key to you know figuring all this out Mm -hmm. and whether or not she's willing to help out the TVA but yeah I mean that was a good catch because I I definitely didn't put that together at all but anyway like I said up front I mean the series is as entertaining as ever. Um, it's got all the charm in the world. I mean, I love the aesthetics of everything. I love the score. The score is phenomenal this season, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I love the characters. But, I mean, my biggest gripe is just, you know, how exposition heavy these first two episodes have been. And that's just the nature of the beast when you're dealing with like time travel and the multiverse. Um, and, you know, they handled it well overall, but, God damn, (laughs) And this is probably more of a pet peeve, you know, a personal pet peeve of mine. You know, it's just I'm not a big fan of time travel. I'm not a big fan of the multiverse of it all. Not that it can't lead to great storytelling. It's just like this series is very much once again, like, you know, tell me, don't show me where I prefer. Show me, don't tell me. Like, if you're going to give me a multiverse story, like I want to actually see these multiverses, right? You know, instead of people sitting around talking about the multiverse, you mm-hmm. know, and us just staring at a screen watching, you know, these timelines branching. But I get it; they're they're saving those type of stories for you know the theater, which you know it is what it is. I understand. But, I'm hoping now that they've kind of explained everything that's been going on, that they can move on and kind of just streamline the story a bit.
0: I mean, it's not going to be an easy feat, like you said. It's multiverse timeline, you know. Four episodes to go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they. I mean, this episode had a good length, at least, and I, I enjoyed the overall pacing. But like, like we said at the start, you know, it, we just jumped right into a mission out of nowhere. We didn't know exactly what was going on, and I'm afraid that we might see more of that as we go, as we continue this series. It's sounding like, as we talked about, in news that they're going to step away from these like six episode series, and maybe they'll be start to be longer. We'll see something closer to maybe not. 15 episodes that daredevil says it's going to be or whatever oh, but it's like you know like
1: 18 or something 18, crazy 18, right? yes
0: <laughs> but like maybe we'll start to see them take their time and you know expand on these series so that they can give every you know show the amount of time it deserves to actually f- like fully flesh out all these stories so i don't want this to be you know coming to the end and we need you know 20 storylines to wrap up real fast like we have with previous marvel shows Especially when you consider that this is
1: really setting the table, at least we're assuming, for everything that's going on with, you know, the multiverse saga. Um, You know, I mean, that's the big event that we're supposed to be seeing play out, you know, for the next, you know, three or four years. So the show has a lot on its shoulders. But anyway, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode three of season two of Loki. right before we move on i'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month ag1 the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health let me tell you once i turned 40 i started to fall apart so i was literally trying everything to help me hold it together but i was getting tired of taking so many supplements and i wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day, and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great.
0: And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I've found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling
1: of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter, or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even helped improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients.
0: AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day. AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1
1: is that it's delivered to me every month. So it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs. So I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning. And that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that
0: simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first. Purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerd show. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs
1: with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com/slash nerd show. That's drinkag1.com slash nerd show and
0: check it out.
1: And now it's time for Christian's Corner.
0: Well, it was made official this week that a new model for the PS5 is on its way for the holiday season, as speculated by most people in the industry, but Sony has now officially made the word out here. Um, it's a smaller and sleeker design as we've come to know from you know most of these kind of like slim additions that we get halfway through the console cycle. Surprisingly though, there will actually be a non-digital and digital version of the console that will both be able to have a disk drive technically, which is something that I thought that they were going to try and retire here. I was really convinced that you know Sony was just going to be done with physical sales especially since you know they're making so much money off of the digital versions of all their games you know they were one of the first you know companies to really raise their prices and you know it's really worked out for them unfortunately for all of us gamers but you know either way thank God that they didn't get rid of the disk drive entirely Um, the new PS5 with blu-ray drive will remain around the same price at $500 while the digital only will only be about. $50 $50 cheaper at 450. dollars um, For those who decide they want a disk drive after getting a digital-only console, you will still be able to buy one and attach it in a kind of modular fashion for $80. Um, before I forget, both versions also come with a one terabyte drive. The design itself looks pretty much the same, just a couple little changes to the shell's design. It seems that they have some opening cuts on the sides now. That's probably for, you know, better heat. But as we know it right now, um, it looks like this is going to replace the current PS5 model entirely. As soon as they sell out of all the ones that they've made already, they're only gonna be manufacturing this newer, sleeker version. On top of that, it was also announced that they're also um, releasing the Access controller for PlayStation. Um, that's the accessibility focus controller that um, they've been desperately needing over at PlayStation. That's coming in around $90, and it's going to be coming out in early December. We also learned this week that the UK has finally ruled in favor of Xbox, meaning that Activision is officially under the Xbox brand. We know that promises were made to ensure that Xbox does not make Call of Duty and several other titles exclusive to Xbox and PC right away, but we will see how long they truly honor that. I'm personally excited to have Activision and Blizzard titles start to appear on Game Pass as I think that will probably bring a massive boost to their games library and value overall for the service. You know, a service that's really costing them more money than they're actually profiting off of. But Microsoft is gambling hard at making Game Pass a success. You know, just as a player though, myself, I'm enjoying being able to try out games in this fashion. Um, In fact, you know, before recording this, I was actually trying out Horizon Motorsport off stream and determined it's most likely not the racing game for me, at least not one that I would want to drop $70 into. Just way too bare bones of an experience for my liking. I'm more of a simcade racer anyway. But that's what I mean when it comes to, you know, this experience, you know, Game Pass is kind of like the new blockbuster when it comes to, you know, video game renting in my eyes. You know, that's how I kind of was able to play games when I was younger, you know, going to the store to rent a game instead of actually getting to buy them that often. You know, maybe I bought two games a year you know, if I was lucky, so I'm happy to have a service like this um, to try before I buy. But that's just my personal thoughts on Game Pass in general. Speaking of my childhood, though, anyone who grew up around me and my friends know one game kind of ruled over our lives for a you know good middle chunk there. And while I wish it was only you know Halo, it truly was Guitar Hero. And word broke this week from Activision CEO following the new deal going through that a Guitar Hero revival might be on its way. Bob Kotick spoke on many of the possibilities that may come now with the new resources from Xbox. And what that means for Activision, you know, directly citing that Guitar Hero could return now because of it. Now, personally, even as someone who owned almost every version of the game and even attempted competition play, I failed terribly, by the way. I just couldn't handle the pressure. Even a guy like me can recognize that music-based games, especially ones with peripherals, had their time in the sun. And I can't imagine a big return to Guitar Hero you know, garnering near the fandom it once had. But there is still a massive community to this day playing clones of Guitar Hero online and streaming it daily. Plus, I can't rule out peripheral-based games in general because of you know all the success that's still going on for things like Amiibos. So I won't write this off, But I still don't imagine it being a big win here for Activision and Xbox. Hell, Harmonix's last big game was Fuser, and that didn't you know last all that long. Even though I felt like it was an excellent DJ experience, only about five people are playing it on Steam right now. I looked it up. Um, You know, in the whole fucking world, I just don't think music games have the steam uh, behind them to be as big as they used to be. I still love them, but I don't imagine a big future for them. But anyway, streaming-wise. I'm pushing to finish Starfield's last big faction quest line and the main quest line before next weekend as that is when Spider-Man officially comes to PS5. So join us for the conclusion to our Starfield playthrough over the next few days on Twitch. I'll of course be playing the game more in the future, but Spider-Man 2 you know is going to be consuming all of my November, let's just be honest here. So swip on over to Twitch and follow us today for our gameplay streams every single weekend. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. And you know what, I'm already getting bored of this, so I think I'm going to go ahead and have my right hand of destruction end you right here once and for all. But take solace in the fact that your little girls Lyric and Ruby will be well taken care of. Hey Beth, I know you're out there listening. Put a clean, Keep it down. Put some clean sheets on the bed because your new father is coming home, girls.
1: All right, Christian. So since last podcast, uh, a lot has gone down in the wonderful world of wrestling. especially with AEW. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just talk highlights um, and do our kind of like weekend review format, if you will. This past week, we saw the uh, rekindling of the feud between NXT and AEW as AEW was preempted to Tuesday night, meaning that they had to go up against NXT in their regular um, time slot. Um, and Because of this, all hell fucking broke loose. Um, WWE kind of started things off by basically loading up the show, trying to guarantee a win. Um, They had Cena, Cody, Undertaker (laughs) (laughs) make an appearance. All in the name of, you know, handing Dynamite a big loss. Um, they even announced that they were going the first 30 minutes of the show commercial free. And the show even had unannounced appearances by Jade Cargill and Ellie uh, Knight. So they, they went all out. Um, so even though they act like, you know, AEW is in true competition, it's pretty obvious that AEW is, in their eyes, competition.
0: They feel some type of way about it.
1: Yes, right? (laughs) I mean, all in all, this felt very petty um, and just kind of silly. Because in the long run, like, is anyone going to look at this as a real victory over Dynamite? Especially when you have to bring in, like, literal, like, you know, top superstars and Hall of Famers on a night that they don't usually air. Um, But that being said, Tony... Absolutely did not help matters. Um, He's way too reactionary. Um, Don't get me wrong. You know, like his booking was fine. Like I didn't have a problem with what he booked for Dynamite. Um, You know, it was loaded. Don't get me wrong. But all the matches made sense storyline wise. And they are all about progressing the storyline towards the pay-per-view. So that's all good and fine. But dear Lord, will someone take his phone away from him? He was literally, t- like, tweeting every hour. Um, and just, I mean, you want to talk about Patty? Like, <laughs> there were tweets, like, calling uh, Triple H and HBK bald assholes. And, oh, okay. Like, just real, like, juvenile, carny shit. I mean, there was legitimate stuff that he was announcing, like, hey, we're also going commercial-free. Like, there was some, like, fun, like, you know, tick-for-tat kind of stuff happening. But at the same time, it was just like, you know, like, he's commenting on people saying that, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to be Booker of the Year and stuff like that. Like, you know, like, stuff that just doesn't matter. Um, and I know he's probably trying in his mind. He's trying to raise awareness for you know AEW airing on Tuesday and everything like that, and you know, it, in a way, you know, maybe rallying you know AEW fans. But I feel like it has the opposite effect because some of his shit is just so cringeworthy <laughs> that, like, I don't know, man. And once again, like petty that as an AEW fan, I find it almost embarrassing. Um, and I, I, apparently I'm not alone because it sounds like that a lot of the locker room feels the same way that they, w- they wish that he would just put his fucking phone away. <laughs> so, I mean, he was making comments about Vince McMahon and like, I just, I, I don't know. Like it really in the long run didn't help his cause because it felt like he was gotten to, mm. you know, like they got underneath his skin. He was being so reactionary to everything where I feel like if he would have just put his head down, put the best show possible on, you know, putting, you know, AEW's best foot forward, if you will, um, and just let the ratings be what the ratings are going to be. Because I feel like people would have just seen it as a moral victory for AEW that they went up against this almost WrestleMania-like card that NXT Uh was putting on and still, like, you know, kept their head above water. Um, Because if anything, you know, like, when he acts like this, I feel like it just emboldens more of that, like, tribalistic nature of wrestling fans. Um, Like, he's not getting, you know, WWE fans to switch the channel over to AEW. And if that's not what he's trying to do with all these tweets, like if that's not his motive behind them, then I don't understand what the point is, you know. Because I feel like it, it actually turns off some of AEW's pre-existing fan base.
0: I mean, you you expect them to be a little bit more professional and you know feel a little bit more professional, you know. I, that's at least what I expect out of the AEW brand. Like I I, I thought we would not be doing so much carney like sh- behavior <laughs> for this company. And that's the thing like I feel like,
1: you know, it's underneath the guise of carney like behavior if that makes any sense, where it's really just Tony being super sensitive about everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he's like I want to have that challenger <sighs> brand attitude and it's like, okay, but dude, you need to pump the brakes a little here. Like <laughs> we're going too far and it you know, you're playing right into their hands, I feel like. Because the one thing that you can't afford to do is, like, turn off your own fan base. Um, You know, and, like, you know, Twitter's not the real world, and it's only a small portion of, you know, AEW fans even on, you know, the, the, the the social media app. But at the same time it's probably your most hardcore fans. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just not helping your cause at all. And I'm not saying that's why like AEW lost the ratings at all because like I said they are going up against impossible odds. But I don't know, man. It just really like shifts the talking point away from like, you know, your wrestlers and all the great in-work or, and all the great in-ring work that they're doing you know on a nightly basis and you know puts the focus all on Tony. So I I just like I said I, I just feel like it's counterproductive. But regardless of how I feel about the man's social media habits, um he did put on two great shows this past week. Um you know um, Collision feels like it took place a year ago, but um <laughs> I think the biggest highlight of Collision was, you know, FTR losing the belts to Ricky Starks and Big Bill. It was a huge surprise of something we definitely did not see coming um, to the point where I was like, oh man, maybe one of them seriously actually hurt. Um, Or, you know, I was worried that maybe, you know, something kind of took a turn for the worse in, you know, Dash's, um, you know, court case, pending court case or, you know, but that wasn't the case whatsoever, I guess. The whole injury angle was just that, an injury angle, um, and that it's, you know, going to play into a bigger storyline in the future. Um, I was just so surprised because we know that, you know, the Young Bucks are now the number one contender. So I was kind of just assuming that we're going to see FTR versus the Young Bucks 4. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um Starks has been busting his ass and so has Big, big Bill, so I'm I'm happy for both of them. I feel like they deserve some spotlight, and you know, Starks has had some huge matches recently, but he hasn't had many, like, big wins, and this was definitely a big win. So, um, you know, and once, you know, FTR is back storyline-wise, I feel like it'll be a great feud um, if the Young Bucks don't take, you know, the belts off them before then. So, um, But, yeah, how did you feel about, you know, everything that happened on Collision? I
0: mean, I was definitely surprised to see, you know, Big Bill and Ricky come out victorious here. Uh, It was the last thing I expected, especially for the opening match of the show. Uh, And it it was pretty much a squash. Like, it was 100%. One-sided is all hell, so.
1: And that's kind of why I was thinking that, you know, someone was actually hurt. Um, Even though, like, you know, Dash took that insane, like, table spot where he, like, Bounced off the fucking thing
0: and then Uh went through it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm wondering if it's just a case of they'll have the Young Bucks win the titles and then have FTR chase after it later. Um, You know, maybe after they're done with Ricky. Maybe. I just feel like
1: like that would hurt Ricky to lose the belts so soon. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe they plan on doing the Bucks versus Starks and uh, Big Bill at the pay-per-view, which is, you know, late November or so. They've got time for at least a little bit of a run.
0: Or who knows? I mean, maybe we get some kind of, like,
1: three-way, you know?
0: Essentially, but I, I feel like the main thing that they're at least angling for is for that FTR versus Young Bucks 4. But I'm just hoping maybe maybe not till next year. Yeah. I don't need another one this year. Yeah, I think— It feels like their bigger priority right now
1: is just building Starks up. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've been doing a pretty good job so far. So hopefully this is a continuation of the same. But moving on to Dynamite. The show started off with a hell of a match. We had uh, Swerve Strickland versus Brian Danielson for a TNT title shot against Christian uh, this coming week on Collision. So um, this match was everything you would expect and more. I thought this match was a great like clash of styles, um, and it's weird because it's a bu- uh, it's a match that I never fantasy booked. But I mean, once I saw the graphic, I was like, "Holy shit, that's a that's a
0: great fucking match!" <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, due to timing, I wasn't able to watch the show. But I, you know, the moment this match got announced last week, I was like, "Oh, this is something I I need to watch because I can't imagine, you know, just how good." Brian and Swerve can be in the ring
1: together. Yeah, I mean, Swerve was fantastic. He's just really, like, come into his own now with, you know, this character. Um, And Brian is just the master of selling. Mm. Um, This week, instead of, you know, doing his typical, like, concussion shit, like, he decided that he was going to sell his liver. Um, <laughs> which the commentators did a great job of putting over too, and really like emphasizing, but that was kind of like the focus of the entire match. Um, they, There were some great near falls. I mean, even though like Swerve is a dastardly heel, you can feel like the groundswell of support that he's starting to gain from Absolutely. You know, the crowd and fans, you know, Brian went over here, but at the same time, Swerve didn't really lose anything. Um, uh Hangman came out and stopped Prince Nana from hitting uh, Brian with his crown. So we're gonna see a continuation of, you know, the Hangman Swerve feud, which I'm totally fine with, and I kind of assumed what's gonna be happening. And this upcoming weekend we're gonna see Brian versus Christian for the TNT title. And is that gonna be like a battle for the belts type of show or is that just out on collision? I think it's going to air on Collision, but I do believe, like, this is one of those weird weeks where we're going to have, like, an extra hour for Battle of the Belts. Gotcha. Um, But I'm sure they're going to want that rating number for Collision, because the show's definitely struggling in that time slot right now. But speaking of Hangman, uh, we had Hangman versus Jay White also on this card. Uh, Hangman actually uh, took the loss, which makes sense since White is going to be going after MJF's title at the pay-per-view, Um, I was actually surprised that they didn't give White more of a convincing win against Hangman. Um, You know, there's just some Gaga that took place, obviously, you know, which, you know, saw, you know, White, you know, pick up the win. I'd also be remiss not to bring up the uh, big wills that uh, Bullet Club Gold came out on, uh, (laughs) which was pretty fantastic. A lot of people took it as a swipe against The Undertaker since, you know, he was in his like American badass persona. Oh, okay. uh, on NXT but I don't know I feel like that's stretching it a bit um but uh after all this went down there was a bit of a controversial promo apparently next week we're going to have the battle royal to see who gets the shot against MGF for the dynamite diamond ring which I don't understand why that's still even a thing, but it is what it is. Juice announced that he was going to be taking part in the battle royal, and then told MJF he'd be seeing him in two weeks so he could take his stupid ring away from him. Um, the controversial part of the promo was Juice pulling out a roll of quarters uh, with MJF's name on it. Um, now we know, like Juice has been, you know, hitting people with rolls of quarters um in the past but obviously this was a nod to the story that MGF you know told in a promo about you know when he was younger dealing with anti-semitic assholes who i guess threw quarters at him um you know in high school yeah. um apparently this is a storyline that MGF has been pushing for um something that he's passionate about you know he wants to tell his story um, you know, and I, I understand like he's an artist and everything like that, but wrestling has such a horrible track record tackling subject matters like this. Um, and just in light of everything that's happening in the real world right now, it just felt incredibly ill-advised, um, so i understand where he's coming from because it's his story so he wants to tell it but at the same time i don't know man
0: <laughs> it just it just wasn't for me yeah it just and it just might be the wrong time for for this event to be going on right now i don't know if there is a right
1: time because i just don't know if wrestling's the right medium for this kind of story yeah and that feeling might be just due to you know once again you know, decades of wrestling, you know, exploiting storylines like this. Um, So I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of this and it just felt incredibly ill-advised. So I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from this um, and just kind of like sweep it underneath the rug just because they, there was such a, Big backlash against it. I can't imagine Time Warner wanting those type of headlines. So Exactly.
0: I, I can imagine that they would pull away from this by next week.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, MJF's heart was in the right place, obviously. Once again, it is his story. And I believe he's even like a spokesperson for some uh, Jewish foundation against anti-Semitic, you know, hate. I just don't know if this was the right storyline for now. Anyway, moving on, um, we had another little skidder segment with um, Roderick Strong and the Kingdom and Adam Cole. Uh, Strong was making Cole mow his lawn for some reason. Um, This one, I don't know. Like, this segment didn't really work for me. It just... I don't know. It feels like we've gone too far with these. Um, And just, you know, without MGF, you know, like that element, it's just... I don't know, it's just not the same. Um, You know, like, this whole... I don't know. (laughs) This whole, like, skit was just so illogical. Like, Adam Cole is being forced or guilted into mowing uh, Roderick Strong's lawn on one leg. He hasn't even had surgery yet.
0: Um, It's just like, wait, what? Like... (laughs) Is he even doing it um, on the scooter, too? Like, was it the scooter and... Oh, God. Yes. (laughs) It's just... I don't know.
1: It's so stupid. (laughs) And, like, why is Admiral Cole all of a sudden, like, allowing, you know, Strong to manipulate him like this? Um, And, like, they... I feel like they've just dropped, like, the Masked Men, like, you know, cliffhanger that they did a couple weeks ago.
0: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: there's really not been much follow-up with that. And, I, you know, I get, it. like, I understand, like, you know, an injury happens, so now I feel like they're kind of treading water, but I would be fine if we went, like, a couple weeks without another, like, skit like this. I think it, I think it'd be okay. I feel like we need to take a break a little bit.
0: I But I think they're going to keep doing it until, you know, they finish the storyline.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they'll still finish the storyline. I just feel like we need to take a
0: couple weeks off here. No, I, I mm-hmm. agree. I'm just saying, like, I feel like they're just going to keep... Doing it just to do it, you know, just because they're so over. I think they need to be careful of, like, jumping the shark.
1: Because, um, like I said, this just felt like a step too far. So mm-hmm. maybe they need to pump the brakes and try to, like, recalibrate exactly what they're doing here. Especially since we know that coal is going to be out for quite a while. So, um, you know, and if this doesn't do well in the ratings, and this definitely did not get a great reaction... <laughs> from fans this time out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can see them going back to the drawing board. But anyway, moving on, uh, we had Jericho get decimated by Powerhouse Hobbs um, in pretty much a glorified squash match. Um, I feel like this would have been a bigger deal if Jericho had been suffering so many losses of late. Uh-huh. Um, but it was still a good moment for Hobbs. And I think it did a really great job of like putting him over as a brand new member of the Callus you know, family, making him seem like a big deal, like a big threat. So I'm wondering if, you know, we'll see Hobbs versus Omega next. you know my only concern is like you know, once again with AEW, the follow up um, you know, this is a big moment for Hobbs, but you gotta capitalize on it. um, so like if he does go up against Omega, I'm all for Hobbs getting the win. Oh, okay. um, I feel like that solidify him as like a big deal, um, you know. So, uh, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. But moving on, we also had two title changes. Uh, in a surprise, Sheeta won the women's title from Soraya. Um, I think the only reason I was taken aback by this is one, it's only been like what three weeks since Soraya won that title, and like I just kind of assumed Soraya was going to be holding on that belt until uh, Mercedes Monet, you know, came to the company, and it looks like she's out of her walking boots. So a lot of people are speculating that she'll be, you know, showing up sooner than later. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, th- I, that match doesn't need the world title, you know, to, to make sense. So maybe they just thought, you know, she'd maybe they thought it made more sense for Sheeta to be holding that belt right now.
0: I mean, Mercedes loves to play heel. So I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted her to show up in AEW and pull a heel move and attack Sheeta.
1: Maybe. It just feels like the natural storyline that they'd want to tell up front is, you know, Soraya versus um, Mercedes. Uh-huh. Especially since they had Mercedes, like, in the crowd during that match. You know, they kept on, like, cutting away to her you know, as um, Soraya won the world title. So, you know, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe they do have, you know, Mercedes go against Sheeta up first and then, you know, you tell that story down the line. Um, but if Mercedes showing up, she, she's definitely not going to get a heel reaction. So mm-hmm. you might be going against the grain there, you know, and with, you know, everything that happened with Soraya when she first showed up, maybe AEW's learned their lesson. Maybe, but you never know with them. Uh, we also saw Orange Cassidy winning the international world title uh, from Ray Phoenix. Uh, this match was a huge surprise originally it was slated to be Moxley versus Phoenix mm-hmm, but Moxley mm-hmm. was yet to be cleared um, they kind of held back in announcing that till like 10 minutes before the show started Um, I'm sure that was on purpose But, uh, yeah, Orange won the belts. Um, this was a little weird and felt kind of rushed, but I mean, in the long run, storyline wise, I'm sure this is probably where they're headed anyway. Cause I mean, obviously we're going to get Moxley versus Cassidy, you know, spinning out of this. So, um, but hopefully Moxley is back sooner than later and highlight wise, last but not least, we had Edge versus Luchasaurus as expected. This was a beautifully laid out match. Um, Because, I mean, that's pretty much what Edge does nowadays. I mean, he's a ring general to the highest degree. Um, And he really, you know, found a way to highlight, you know, all of Luchasaurus's strengths uh, and just made him look like a fucking monster out there. Even though Edge is like maybe an inch or two shorter than him. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh. <laughs> he still looked like a monster, though. You know, going against Edge. But anyway, at the end of the match, we of course saw Edge, you know, picking up the victory. But right afterwards, he got jumped by Nick Wayne and Christian. Brian Danielson came out then and made the save. Um, I felt there was a little tension there, though. Like Edge was looking on as Brian Danielson was stretching Christian. He put him in the label mm. lock, and you know, I don't know. Um There was a lack of interaction between the two, so I'm wondering if, you know, something's going to come of that um, where, you know, hey, only I can beat up my best friend, that type of deal. (laughs) So we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, the Black Hole Combat Club came out. uh, The uh, Mogul Embassy came out. Hangman came out. It was just a giant melee. uh, Very WCW Nitro style, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, And that's how the night ended. Um, They also got a huge overrun. I think they went like 16 minutes over. Something crazy like that. But that was all planned because they were, you know, trying to go head to head against NXT. Mm -hmm. NXT always has an overrun. Uh, But NXT went like five minutes over and, you know, AEW went a full like quarter over. (laughs) So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all the NXT, AEW stuff just doesn't even really fucking matter because, you know, this coming week. AEW's back on Wednesday, so it is what it is. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was a great week of wrestling for AEW, you know, regardless of Tony Khan's antics.
0: And, you know, I'm really excited for the upcoming pay-per-view. That's right. We're just a month away from full gear on November 17th. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review.
1: It really helps new listeners to find
0: the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long
1: as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and
0: rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Changing the past doesn't change the future. Look, we go back, we get the stones before Thanos gets them. Thanos doesn't have the stones. Problem solved. Bingo. That's not how it works. Well, that's what I heard. Wait, but who? Who told you that? Star Trek, Terminator, Time Cop, Time After Time. Quantum Leap? Wrinkle in time, somewhere in time. Hot Tub Time Machine? Hot Tub Time Machine. Tub time machine. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Basically, any movie that deals with time travel. Die Hard? No, that's not what it is. This is known. I don't know why everyone believes that, but that isn't true. Think about it. If you travel to the past, that past becomes your future. And your former present... Becomes the past, which can't now be changed by your new
1: future. Exactly. So, Back to the Future is a bunch of bullshit.